The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, I myself, uh, sorry, uh, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, we um, thank you for this time to be able to come together as one body, as a family of believers, um, who can love one another, who can live life with one another, God. And I pray as we um, jump into the scripture that you would speak to us through Randall, that you would use him to show us uh, where our priority should land and who you are, um, that we would throw away who we are, um, whatever we've done, whatever we think we've done, um, and put on you your righteousness and knowing that the only thing that's ever going to make us right is going to be believing in your son's resurrection. so we thank you for that, Father. And we pray now that you would bless this time and um, also bless this week as we go into these uh, kids, um, camp things, Lord. Um, just help us to bless the neighborhood that we live in, God, because we know that you're a God that's not here to love just us, but you're here to love the city that we live in as well, God. Um, and we thank you that you will use us to show that love. Um, so, Father, just be in this time now, and we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Ricardo. Hey, good morning, everyone. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Um, This morning, I just want to welcome you. If you're new uh, here to Grace City, thank you for being here with us this morning. My name is Randall, um, pastor here, and uh, we have been going through the book of Philippians uh, over the summer. And so we go verse by verse through the scriptures, um, and we've discovered so much um, through this that, you know, the, 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 the heart of, of Paul coming through in this letter is so clear because it's a, it's a message to people that he loves. He loves the people that he's writing to. And he saw as their church started uh, from the very beginning. And so he was there, and, and it was really just God orchestrated it all to happen. And, and uh, so we're looking at this book of Philippians, and we're already in chapter 3. But before we jump into Philippians 3, uh, I do want to say that, uh, as Brooke was saying earlier, it's exciting to be here in this school, and I believe that God has, has made a way for us to be here. Uh, and, and so our staff was able to meet with uh, the leadership this week. We were able to meet with the principal here, uh, the assistant principal here at the school, and what a joy to be able to be with them. I just want to say that this school is in good hands. This school is in good hands. They, they care about every student, teacher, faculty that walk onto this campus. And so I just said, hey, we want to be here as a church to come alongside what you're doing to bless this, this community and the, the students that come here. Um, but, you know, one of the things that he talked about was just how much um, the kids were struggling with uh, just mental illness and discouragement and um, and so for us as a church family like how can we come alongside them and just a couple of practical things was um, you know just with the specific needs that they have school supplies 
Um, and, and so we're going to try to make a rhythm within our church that we're continually bringing school supplies so they can stock uh, the, the cabinets here as they see students that are uh, needing those things. And also uh, clothes, clothes for students that uh, are coming here. Uh, and so uh, they have a closet uh, specifically for, for students to come and, and to pick out some new clothes. And so we want to be able to stock those as well. But those are s- just tangible needs that we can meet, uh, the needs of this community, this neighborhood, and really bless the city. Um, you know, for our church, our vision is to be a church for our city that seeks new life in Jesus. And so we believe that God has brought us here and really orchestrated all of that. And we just thank him and we want, we want to be obedient to, to the call that, that, that we have here uh, to be that blessing. And so, um, yeah, just be praying for that. Be praying this week about the City Kids Sports Camp. Uh, We want to bless this community. So uh, today, the message as we get to Philippians chapter 3 is what really matters? What really matters? You see, all of us eventually come to the point in our lives where we have to examine and ask what really matters? What, what is my life and what am I here for and, and what is it that really matters in life? In his biography of Apple founder and architect Steve Jobs, there is a man, the writer Walter Isaacson. He gives a glimpse into Jobs' thinking as he's contemplating death. If anyone were to bring up the name Steve Jobs, many of us would say uh, very successful. Actually, uh, the, the, the inventions and, and the innovation from him and, and Apple uh, has, have changed our world uh, radically. We are living in a radically different world because of his work. But here's what Isaacson says he's uh, thinking about at the end. It says that Jobs talked about his experiences in India almost four decades earlier, his study of Buddhism and his views of reincarnation and spiritual transcendence. He says, I'm about 50-50 on believing in God. He said, for most of my life, I've, I've felt that there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. I like to think something survives after you die. After all of the innovation after all of the creativity at the end of his life, the resume, right? If you were to look at the resume, which many of us kind of base our life off of, is the resume. What's the resume say about what we've done and what our life has accomplished? His resume on the outside looks very good. But we see at the end that his wealth, his creativity, His leadership, his resilience, all of those things were not enough. He was left still searching for more. And today we see the Apostle Paul, who was not 50-50 on God, but was 100% on God, saying this is who God is, this is what God has done, and this is the resume that really matters in my life. This is what matters most. Because today, some of us might be walking in here saying, is God real? Does he care? What is my life about? And in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul, as he talks about his life, and we talked about it's just kind of woven all throughout the book of Philippians because he's in prison right now, his death. He's facing his death. Just a couple years, he would die. He's asking these questions and, and finding these answers in this, Philippians 121. He said, for, t- for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, in the discipleship group that I'm in, we were doing discipleship groups this summer. One of the things that we talked about this week was this very verse. 
this verse, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does that mean? It's that the Apostle Paul has this focus fully on Jesus. He says, that's my life, is Christ. If I were to have life, it is Christ. We were talking about this. You think of Peter as as Jesus calls him out onto the water to come walk on the water. And and Peter's vision is on Jesus and he's walking, but then he gets distracted. And what happens? The wind and the waves start to take over and he starts to sink. See, for many of us right now, we might be thinking, "I, I feel like I'm more sinking than I'm walking. And we see that the Apostle Paul is saying, for me to live is Christ. My focus, my goal is Christ. And if I'm to die, it is gain. That's it. It's gain. See, when we talk about the Apostle Paul and the grid that he's living on, it's completely off the grid for us many a times. His focus is fully on Jesus. And you say, well, yeah, he's the Apostle Paul. But what about you and me? Because it wasn't just for the Apostle Paul that he's saying this. He's saying this is the life that you and I were meant for. Howard Hendricks, who was a professor in theology, he says, my great concern for you in life is not that you will fail, but that you will succeed in doing the wrong things. Not that you'll fail, but you'll succeed at doing the wrong things. See, what matters most? Paul had a singular vision on what truly mattered and is inviting us to take on this same vision for life, this same Christ-centered vision and saying, will you join me? Because this is what you're made for. So again, our text is Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Just to give some context here, Paul is writing from prison to a church that he planted over 10 years before. Um, God had radically changed lives in the community, and uh, Paul deeply loved these people. And so in the first couple of verses in chapter 3, Paul is reminding them of something that was really important for them. Again, he keeps coming back to it again and again. But it's, it's, it's Jesus. In verses 1 and 2, he says, uh, finally, my brothers, but this can also be translated, my brothers and sisters. So this is the church family. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. The focus is on Christ. He says, uh, to, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. What's he saying here? He's going to talk about it, but he's saying basically, like, it is no trouble for me to keep pointing you back to Jesus and the gospel. This is, what he's doing is saying, the Philippian church needs to be a a one-focused church, Jesus and the gospel. When we say that we are a gospel-centered church, that's the focus here. And so my hope is that every week when when you walk out of here, You experience the life-giving power of Jesus and the power of the gospel that lifts the weight off of your shoulders because you realize ultimately what matters most is done. It's done. And then when you look at the cross and you see Jesus in his last words on the cross, what does he say? It is finished. And so with the stress and the anxiety that you walk in with and you walk around with on a daily basis, that ultimately in your mind, you come back to the same thing. Sometimes we say around here, you need to preach the gospel to yourself. You need to preach it to yourself every day. What, what is it that Christ died for me? He loves me. Ultimately, the greatest thing is accomplished and I am a daughter or a son of God because of Jesus. See, it's, Paul is telling them, you need to be a same thing church. That's your focus. And that weight starts to lift off your shoulders because he says, it is safe for you. Where does the safety lie? In that message, in Jesus. 
That's where your safety is. He said, that's safe for you. Because he says, look out for dogs, look out for evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Basically, he's saying, okay, there's going to be people that are going to try to convince you that the gospel's not enough, that Jesus isn't enough. And so you've got to kind of work your way into God's love. But what Jesus secured for you is the love of the Father by dying for you and me, by living the perfect life. It's already secured in Christ. And so he said, that's what's safe for you. And so Paul telling these brothers and sisters, this is where the safety is, is the most important thing for them to get. But he also kind of breaks this down and parses this out and how this affects you and I in everyday life. And this is super helpful for us. And so how does the Apostle Paul help us to see that God transforms our perspective on these things to really focus on what matters most? Well, we're going to look at three parts of this in the scriptures today. Okay, so he does this by giving us a new source of confidence. Number two, a new way to count. And number three, a new intimacy with Christ. Okay, a new source of confidence, a new way to count, a new intimacy with Christ. So the first one is a new uh, source of confidence. Look at verses three through six. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus, or Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, Paul here gives us his resume. He gives us an insight into all of the things that he's done. All of the things that in the eyes of, of, of man would be enough. This is a great resume. <laughs> this is a great resume. But here, Paul is redirecting believers to our true source of confidence. See, he's not pointing them to himself. He's pointing them to something else. He starts with this. He says, this, he, he says, for we are the circumcision. The circumcision. Now, there's a lot here, and, and you look in the Old Testament, and you look at the, the ways that, that people would know, okay, you were a follower of God, and so this is one of those ways physically that we saw in the Old Testament, and then also the Hebrew people kind of brought this into, okay, this shows that I have a relationship with God. And so there are people in the church coming in saying, you got to follow these laws and these rules to be a real Christian. Okay, we get the Jesus stuff, but it's Jesus plus something else. And so, people are scared, people are nervous, people are wondering, okay, am I really a Christian? Does God really love me? I know that gospel that Paul preached to me, but then I've got all these other people telling me I needed, I got the Jesus stuff, but it's Jesus plus something else. And so they're getting nervous. And Paul says this. He says, for we are the circumcision. We are the people of God. We. Now this is important because Paul is including himself with anyone that has placed their faith in Jesus. Paul's including himself. And so he's going to go off on all the things that he's done, but he's not holding that over people's heads. He's saying, no, it's all of us are in the same boat. We've talked about this before. This is humility. This is Paul not holding anything over their heads, but saying, I'm right there with you. I'm among the people. He says, we are the circumcision. Who worship by the Spirit of God. What does it look like to be a Christian? It's that you're no longer worshiping the things of this world, but that you're worshiping the one and true God. You know, in the Old Testament, when it talks about a pure heart, what does that mean? It's purity of focus. It's pure, it's, it's not that you're perfect, 
But it's purity in that your heart is focused on worshiping God, not idols. We're not worshiping idols, but we're worshiping the one true God. And so your focus and your heart is for God. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. And so now he says that, that we worship by the Spirit of God. Why is that important? Because you and I need to remember this. It's only possible to worship God because of God. God pursued us. God found us. God made it possible for us to know him. Okay, there are people who grow up in the church and they say, well, look at me. I grew up in the church. I know more Bible verses than you and I have all of this history. Remember when I went to Bible college, I felt so out of place because I didn't have any family lineage of pastors that were in my family. I didn't have a whole lot of Bible knowledge because I didn't grow up in the church and so I knew things, but I didn't know. I had to grow there was just like, there's this elite group of people who knew all the Bible stuff, and then there was like us, right, who are just kind of learning. We're like, we need to, that's why we're here. But to remember that the only way that you and I are invited into know God is because of God. And if you feel inadequate or you feel like you don't know enough the Bible or any of those things, that he's inviting you to know him. And that the way that you're going to know him is by the Spirit of God. That as you open up the Bible, you're going to see that God starts to speak through his word. And you're going to grow closer and closer to him because you worship by and because of God. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not because you and I have strived our way into God's love, but that God, by his spirit, came to us, met us right where we're at, and encourages, encourages us to know him, that God has been pursuing you. He says this, in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, what this is, is a new disposition. We don't use that word glory very much. But glory here can mean to boast. We know a lot about boasting don't we? <laughs> we know a lot about bragging. We know a lot about all of those things. And so that speaks to us. And Paul has said this before, but he's, he'll say it again. Paul is saying we boast in God, not in ourselves. We boast in God. If there are things that are good that are happening in our lives, we boast in God because God is the one who does it. He's the source. We boast in what Jesus has done for us, not what we have done or can do. See, the, when we think about the scriptures and all the gifts that we have, all the things that we have, it says that everything is a gift of God's grace. He says, who? How can we boast when you just received it as a gift? It's a different posture of life, but it's very different from the rest of the world and the way that the world operates. And then he gets to here, he says, and put no confidence in the flesh. Now the word here for confidence um, is also associated with another word. Um, the words are convince or persuade. To convince or persuade. Believers don't have to persuade or convince people of their value based on what the Apostle Paul says here, the flesh. Now, what does this uncover? That there is something in all of us, this need to recommend ourselves. To recommend ourselves to give ourselves a five-star Yelp review, to type out just a, a nice review or biography about just all the things that we've done and we can do, and this is what makes me valuable, to convince ourselves and others that we are important and valuable. And Paul says to believers, you don't have to do that anymore. 
Now, does this mean that we don't talk about things that we've accomplished or things that we've done? No. Apostle Paul says, this is my life. But what did he say? It's to put confidence in that. To put confidence in it. See, sometimes if we haven't done something for a while, right, if, if there's been an amount of time where we've done something, and maybe at one time we were really good at it in the past, but the thing that we try to convince ourselves with is what? I used to be really good at this. And so I'm going to build up my confidence because at one time I was really good at this. You know, one of the things that I was good at one time was, you know, like basketball, soccer. I was good at it. I was on teams. And as I've gotten older, <laughs> Jen Darm's laughing at me. As, as, I'm, as I've gotten older, the more I try to convince myself and persuade myself of something that happened in the past, the more likely I am to injure myself. <laughs> Get what I'm saying? And that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul is warning us of here. He's saying, don't try to convince yourself of what you could do in the flesh. Because it's a trap. See, Paul defines all the things that he'd done. Uh, he says this in verses 4 through 6. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Here's what it means. He was born Jewish, not a convert. He, was, he wasn't coming from uh, being Greek to converting to Judaism. No, he's, a, he's Jewish. Of the tribe of Benjamin, that, that was racial purity here. Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Hebrew who spoke Hebrew, not a Hellenistic Jew. Greek Jew. As the law, he says, a Pharisee, this, this is his educational background. High pedigree. High pedigree. This is the Yale, the Harvard, all of these things. The, the, the Ivy League school when it came to religion, he was there. He'd studied under the best. A zeal, a persecutor of the church. He's saying, I was a leader. People trusted me. People were following me. People were listening to me. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. What's he saying here? Outwardly, he had it all together. When people thought about Paul, they thought, this is someone who has it all together. His resume was spotless. But what does he say? I have no confidence in it. I have no confidence in it. See, if it were possible to be accepted by God for being a good religious person, Paul was the top candidate. He was the top of the top. But he's telling us a secret here to, to not only like our, our, our faith in, 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 in God, but also just in life in general. He's saying if you put your confidence in those things, if you try to persuade people that that's what really matters about your life and who you are, he says it's empty, it's a spiritual dead end, it doesn't work. But he also gives us hope. He says that you can start to live with a new type of confidence. That confidence doesn't have to be in yourself, but it can be in God. It can be in God. And so he's going to break that down here. He says, and the second point is a new way to count. Look at verses 7 through 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What's happening here? Well, there's two parts. Uh, the first one is that Paul is assessing his past accomplishments. So he just told us what all of his resume was. He told us all of his accomplishments. Right? And, and many in that culture would have been very impressed. Wow. Or they would have known. These are all the things he's done. Wow. He's a star. He's a celebrity. 
But what does Paul say about it? First, Paul assesses his accomplishments like this. He says, the past gain that I had, the resume of my past, is now counted as rubbish. As rubbish. Now, the translators that translated this um, in, from, from the Greek, they are being very uh, gentle in the way that they translate that. Very gentle, okay? This is, this is a very um, non-threatening way of translating this. But the Greek word he uses here for rubbish is excrement. That's what it is. He's saying basically, and you can translate that however you want, but he is saying that's what it is. That's what it is. It means nothing to him. It's absolute rubbish to him. He says, in effect, all my degrees, all my awards, all my accolades, excrement. Nothing. I remember my grandfather, I was talking with him on his deathbed, Henry Tanini. I think we got a picture of him here, but my, my grandfather, I look up to him so much. He was dying of cancer. I remember looking at his back one day when I was growing up as a kid. He had uh, been hit by some shrapnel on his back. He was in World War II. Uh, he was a prisoner of war. He was a Purple Heart recipient. He never talked about it. Never talked about it. And I remember on his deathbed, I was, had my brother there, and we were just kind of talking with Grandpa, and I said, Grandpa, like, you know, what, what, like, what happened? Like, what, what's your story? Like, you know, like, there was so much that happened back then, and he, he told me, he's like, Randall, he said, it doesn't matter. Like this and everything, I, it's, it doesn't matter. He said, it's over. He said, that was another time. He said, but the results of it, that, that's what mattered. You know, and, and I think about him a lot, and, and basically it's like this same kind of mindset because he never, he, like, he, so there's like all of these um, medical uh, opportunities he could have had over the, he, like, he didn't even know about all the, the different benefits he had as a, as a, uh, uh, someone who'd been in war and all that stuff. He, there's, he just kind of lived life. He just kind of lived life and never saw himself as something special. And why is Paul making such a strong argument here, statement for this? Because he's saying for many of us, we are counting up the wrong things. We're counting the wrong way. The accomplishments that we're counting up, we're being deceived by believing that that's what defines our value and worth. We're counting them up and saying that's what gives me confidence to step into the day. And Paul is saying you need a shift because second, Paul counts Jesus as more valuable than any personal accomplishments. Look at what he says. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, the thing I found out about my grandpa later was that as he was marching, and I've told some of you this story before, but as he was marching as a prisoner in war, he was ready to give up. He was ready to give in. And he said that he found a cross on the ground as they were marching from Poland to Germany. And he reached down and grabbed that cross and held on to it, and it gave him hope that he was going to be saved. Friends, that's it. Paul's telling us 
The surpassing worth of Christ, the surpassing worth of the cross, the surpassing worth of this gospel message, knowing Christ my Lord, that is what matters. Pastor Timothy Keller says this, he says, the word surpassing greatness is the Greek word hyperecho, which means the super thing. Paul says, I have found the super thing. I found something so brilliant, the things that used to control me no longer have any power over me. The things that used to drive me no longer have any influence and control over me. This is a new motivation for life when we say that it's, it's the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus. See, for many of us in the darkness, right, we think about, we look up at the stars. We see all the stars in the sky. If you were to count all the stars in the sky and you say, you know what, I have so many different accomplishments, but what outshines any star in the sky? It's the sun. When the sun comes out, you don't see any more stars. And when the sun comes up in your life, Christ outshines any star, right? The only one that matters is him. And so now this last part is a new intimacy with Christ that you and I are invited into this. Listen to this, verse 9 through 11. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. And by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, what does this type of intimacy look like? Paul is letting us in on his motivation for life. He's letting us in on what's going on in the inside. Right? The resume is all the things on the outside that he had done. But what's on the inside of Paul? He says, the thing that matters to me, it's, it's being found in him, verse nine. Being found in him. This is the fact that Jesus knows you. He knows you. You know, one of the things that we get excited about is like, well, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. But really, what does it mean first that, that Paul says this first? It's basically this. It's, it's not that you know Jesus, but Jesus knows you. <laughs> you know that's the most important thing? Matthew chapter 7 tells us there are people who come to him, Lord, Lord, I, we did all these things in your name. And what does he say? He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Never knew you. You can do things in Jesus' name. He didn't say that he didn't do things in Jesus' name. The person who comes up to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, well, no, you didn't. No, he says, but depart from me, for I never knew you. The greatest thing that you and I could, could have in life is that God knows us. Right? God sought us. God pursued us. But that he, he knows me and that I'm in him and that, that he's the place of safety, that I have protection. He's my protection. See, some of us fight so hard to protect ourselves. I got to protect my reputation. Got to protect what people think about me. It's all about me protecting. But what about as a Christian? It's that God protects you. That he's our protection. He's our provider. He's our strength. He's the one. Is, is that enough for us to be found in him? Because next, Paul says, okay, it's being found in him, but it's, it's also the fact that you get to know him. You get to know him. I get to know him. J.I. Packer once said, once you become aware that the main point of business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. That's a bold statement. That's a bold statement. But Jesus says that in Matthew 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek first 
God, his kingdom. All these things will be added. All these things, right? How do we know him and grow in intimacy with him? Well, Paul breaks it down. He says, first, the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. What's the power of his resurrection? Going back to what we talked about before, by the Spirit, the Spirit of God. There's a power that lives in you and me. The, the, the Greek word is dunamis. It, it, it's the power. Doesn't it sound like a powerful word? Dunamis, it's like the power. Got the dunamis, right, of God. The power of his resurrection. It's so powerful that it resurrected Jesus from the dead. You ever feel like there's things that are just falling apart, dying around you in your life, that it's just, everything is just kind of whittling away and there's just no way that things could really come together in your life. He says the power of the resurrection that's raised Jesus from the dead is powerful in your life and my life. That same power. But he says this, he's, he says to share his sufferings. This is one of those parts where we like to skip over, right? Like, but to face the challenges and know that in life, you're not alone. You're not alone. That God is with you. That his power is enough for you. Commentator uh, Tony Marita says this. He says, we must not skip over this line about suffering because we'll miss something very important. Paul says he wants to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Earlier, he told the Philippians that we have been given the gift of suffering for Christ. That's in Philippians 1.29. And so this flies in the face of prosperity gospel theology, which says that if you have faith, you'll have healthy, or you, you'll be healthy, be wealthy, and have no trials. Many don't understand the truth about Christianity. You and I will have sufferings but you also have the power of the resurrection in your life. And what happens? Becoming more like him. Becoming more like him. It says becoming more like him in his death. Paul's focus is this, that to my death, I want to, to become more like Jesus. What's the turning point in the book of Luke? In the, in the middle of Luke, there's this passage in Luke 9 where it says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. That's the whole shift of the book of Luke. And what's it talking about here? Well, it's saying that Jesus' whole focus was on his death, that he was going to die. And so... This was Jesus' whole focus of life. And when we think about Jesus in his death, becoming like him in his death, that there's a focus that we have that, that we wouldn't have otherwise. And it's one that's selfless and honoring to God. It says, attain the resurrection from the dead. Attain the resurrection from the dead. Is that this isn't it that the resume that you accumulate here and I accumulate here isn't it. That the definition and the way that we try to define ourselves or others isn't it. But that what, what really matters is the, the resurrection from the dead is that when I die, I don't really die, but I'm raised with Christ. Paul says, I want to know and, and have intimacy with Christ where that is my life. That's a new type of intimacy that God is inviting you and me into that many of us are just flat out scared, right? Scared to say, I want to know Christ like that. I was singing recently, this, just the this, this simple song, like in the words, it was just, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And then I started to think about like, what does that mean? Like, I love you, Lord. Okay, I love you, Lord, so much that I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice whatever that means. Okay, I'm getting a little nervous. I love you, Lord. 
But do I love you enough to let you into my life at different parts of my life that I'm scared to let you in right now because I just don't know how you're going to ask me to obey you? See, this type of intimacy that Paul's talking about says, I will follow Jesus all the way to the very end. Because where does it start? It started that Jesus went to the very end for you and me. That the reason you and I can call ourselves Christians or be saved today is because Jesus went to the very end for you and me. And so he's inviting you, saying, hey, if, if you can trust Jesus to do that for you, will you trust him in your life to say, I want that type of intimacy, to hear from God, to say whatever you ask of me, I love you, Lord, and I'll follow you wherever you call me to go. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. How does that work out in our lives? And so how do we apply this? How do we wrap this up today? First one is identify your true source of confidence. Your true source of confidence. Let's ask, what are some warning signs that I might be putting more confidence in the flesh than in God? And I'm gonna read some of these and these might resonate, might not. You might be thinking, that, oh yeah, that resonates for somebody else, but not for me. But I just want you to think, how does this resonate for me, right? First one, the need to be the center of attention. The one-upper. I got another story that's way better than theirs. Because my resume's better, right? The one-upper. Being jealous or critical of others when they succeed. I'm looking on social media. I'm not liking what I'm seeing because I should be in that place. Always have to be first or win. Can't congratulate anybody because they beat me or they were better because I got to be the first or win all the time. Have a pattern of lying (laughs) about our accomplishments, right? All the things that I've done. Have a hard time admitting that I'm wrong have a lot of drama in my life, have a hard time giving credit to others, get mad when others don't acknowledge my accomplishments. Do you realize my resume? Do you know what I've done? Look at me. Constantly compare myself to others to make myself feel better. Well, at least I'm not like them, right? But it's the same thing. When the Pharisee Goes in and he looks at the, the one who's, who's humbly before God and he's like, I'm glad I'm not a sinner like him. What is that? That's that we are putting confidence in ourselves, in our flesh. It's gotten real quiet, right? Because what does the scriptures do? It, it, it hits us to the heart. It uncovers the things in our heart. Secretly, we all have these tendencies included but God invites us today to find our confidence in him a God confidence it's a new type of confidence second ask God what truly counts what truly counts what am I counting am I counting the right things or am I counting the wrong things because those things don't really matter Randy Alcorn said nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven We think that what we want is sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a a large screen television, a new car, a, a cabin in the woods, a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for, Jesus, and the place we were made for, heaven. Nothing less can satisfy us. What matters most? Right, we fight for all these things, but what matters most? Last one, remember your closeness to Jesus. Remember your closeness in proximity to Jesus. Um, I remember a friend one time, I was discouraged. I felt like, man, God, where are you? Struggling. My friend, he's one of those guys who just kind of looks at you and just tells you the truth. He says, Randall, you act like God is really distant from you right now, but is he? Is he or is he right next to you? Yeah, I guess you're right. I feel like it, but my feelings aren't always telling me the truth. See, you're believing something that isn't true, Randall. He's closer than you think. And the power of the resurrection is in you. See, remember your closeness to Jesus. 
It's not because you worked your way to Jesus and you got right with Jesus and all these things. It's that Jesus worked his way to you. That's the gospel, friends. He worked his way to you and me. And we get that today. There's a God that came that close to us. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's right there. So the gospel today, as we finish up here, verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The gospel message is this, that God, in his grace, sent Jesus, and that we get to know him because he came to know us. He knew what we went through. He knew the hardships. He knew the pain. And that he didn't run from it, but he ran towards the cross. And it was in his death that we can see his love for us. That if you ever question, does God love me? Look at the cross, friends. Look at the cross. Look what he's done. And that in the power of the resurrection, yes, it might feel like I'm dying down here or like my resume doesn't match up or like I'm not the one that's first chosen or first picked, but it's that God looks at you and says, I choose you. I chose you. I love you. Will you believe that today? Because that's the power of the resurrection. And it will raise you up in your life like nothing else could. That's what matters most. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the power of the resurrection today. That it's enough for us. And that we can hold tightly onto the cross. May we do that in our lives. And see that Jesus, it's true. It's what matters most. And it's the invitation into this new relationship, this new intimacy with you, where we can say, I love you, Lord. But we look down, you look down on us, and you, you say, I love you, and I loved you first. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.